we are, and uh, I agree with Pastor, it seems amazing that we've come to the, the final night of our time together, and it has been, it was a great delight to see on the calendar that uh, we were scheduled to come back to Fernley and to uh, be with friends and to hopefully make some new ones again and to uh, be with you. And I'm very grateful for the privilege of calling you a friend. And as I said on Sunday, I kind of like this new design, this kind of a uh, turn in the building and it kind of blew me away on Saturday night when I walked in but I I appreciate how that things are done with a quality and a first classness I don't know if that's a good word but you get the point and uh, appreciate it very very much and I'm glad you're here I'm really pumped tonight day truth to tell you the truth I had the joy of being with the teenagers for a few minutes down the down the way uh, and we uh, I tell you uh, John and Ashley do a great job with your teenagers and I am grateful for the fun that they had and, and the fellowship they had and then just the opportunity to uh, be able to uh, share a quick thought with them. And they're here with us again tonight in the building as well. And so I'm grateful for that. I'm glad for all of you to be here. So glad that you've come. Now tomorrow morning, uh, as you head to your jobs and your teaching and your school classrooms and whatever, Lynn and I will be making our way east. We'll be going towards Salt Lake. Uh, and uh, spend the night over there, and then uh, on the following day, making our way on up toward Cody, Wyoming. And uh, uh, and we, we will be there for the third time, I think. Is that right? The third time? Yeah, the third time. And, uh, and be the first time to drive to it. We've normally just flown to Cody. But nevertheless, we're making our way there. And I say all that just to say, would you pray for us as you think about it? And we'll be behind the wheel and dealing with whatever the road conditions will be and that sort of thing. And so we don't want to slide into Cody. We'd like to uh, <laughs> arrive casually and carefully. All right. So you pray for us as we go. All right. And we will leave a part of ourselves here with you. We'll be thinking about you. And and um, I'd love for us not to be together the next three years. I'd love for us to meet in heaven. And that would just be great if the Lord would come again and take us all home at that time. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Just, uh, I'm not going to ask you to say it out loud. Just, just, just a- answer this question with an uplifted hand. Do you have somebody in the Bible who is your favorite Bible character? Now, before you raise your hand, think about it. Maybe you've never been asked that question before. Maybe as you think about it, you go, you know something, I do like this individual. Uh, you know, about as much as I'd like anybody. Now, we'd all put the Lord Jesus at the top of the list, all right? So so let's not uh, guilt trip anybody here, but after, after the Lord Jesus, do you have, and by the way, it doesn't make you a better Christian than somebody else if you happen to have a favorite Bible character. I'm just asking a general question. Don't say the name out loud, but if you have a favorite character, raise your hand, would you? Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. I do too. I got favorite. I got several. I got, I don't know, about Oh, 29. I mean, I've got, I've got a lot of favorite Bible characters. Just just for fun, uh, who would claim uh, uh, David as their favorite Bible character? Anybody? All right. Okay. Uh, anybody would claim uh, Moses? Anybody take Moses? All right. Good. Great. 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 Um, how about Paul? Anybody going to take Paul? Yeah, man. He was the man. I'm telling you, he was the man. We owe a, we owe a debt to every one of these characters in the Bible, but Paul with all that the Lord allowed him to do. Incredible. Peter? Anybody going to take Peter? Nobody's going to take Peter. I, poor Peter. And uh, uh, he was quite the guy as well. Uh, ladies, I'm sorry. Esther. We gonna, anybody going to grab Esther? Yeah, look at there. Uh, many hands. Ruth. Let's get that other lady. All right. Okay, good. Uh, as far as scriptures go. And I'm not going to... Elijah. Anybody going to take Elijah? Anybody take Elisha? Uh, anybody take Zerubbabel? I just thought I'd throw that one in. Uh, how about this one? Anybody take Joseph? Joseph. Well, let's take Job. How many take Job? Didn't you already raise your hand once? <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm just joking. I want you to go to Genesis 39 with me tonight as we take a look at someone that is probably, in many ways down through the generations, a favorite Bible character of many of God's people is a guy named Joseph. And I'm going to tell you something. I need to talk to you before we read the passage. I want you to just get Genesis 39 open in front of you. The truth is, the story of Joseph actually begins in Genesis chapter 30. That was when he was born. We just see a snippet of the statement there. 
his life really begins to take uh, take root and, and emphasis in chapter 37. And it goes all the way to the very end of the book of Genesis. Now, it really is significant. Stay with me. It really is significant. That's what, uh, 14 chapters that we read. Actually, there's one chapter that breaks from the story of Joseph. So, 13 chapters that deal with the life of Joseph. Here, here's the point. There is more said about the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis than any other Bible character in the book of Genesis. And think about some of the people that are in the book of Genesis. Think about it. You got Adam and Eve. I mean, give me a break. We all owe a debt to them. Uh, I mean, you know, seriously. I mean, there's Abraham. I mean, the father of Israel. And of course, his offspring, Isaac. And then Jacob. You've got Lot. You've got Abraham's wife, Sarah. You've got Noah. We owe a lot to him too. The truth is, there's some major players in the book of Genesis. And there's more said about Joseph. Somebody figured it out that 25%, now that may not sound like a whole lot, but 25% of the book of Genesis deals with the life of Joseph. Really, it's a lot. If you had grown up in the days of Moses when he was writing the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis through Deuteronomy, the story of Joseph would have been every young boy's hero. He was a Hebrew hero. If they had... If they had uh, posters, they would have, every boy in his tent would have had a picture of Joseph in his tent. I mean, he was, he was somebody special. He was, he was everybody's hero. He was somebody. Now, let me tell you a little bit more about, about him, because there could be some folks here tonight that may not know some of the details about his life, and I do not have time, and you don't have time for us to go through the whole story. Again, it goes from chapter 37 to the end of the book, but we're gonna, we're gonna touch a couple of things as fast as we can. Joseph came, are you ready for this? From a very troubled home. Now, no, 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 no. I mean a what what today's generation would call a dysfunctional family. I mean, if Joseph's family was alive today, they'd wind up on one of those talk shows where people sit up on it and they scream at each other and throw chairs at one another. I don't I don't watch those shows. I just see a commercial every once in a while. I mean, it was a mess. Joseph's dad, Joseph's dad had four women in his life. I hesitate to call them wives, but he was having children by all those women. And one, well, I said three of the four were giving birth to his kids. And these kids began to grow up and they weren't getting along because they all had the same dad but different moms and they were just kind of being raised in a roughshod way. And the one woman that daddy loved the most couldn't get pregnant for the longest time. And then finally she's expecting a child. And who did she give birth to but Joseph? And so Joseph, for a good season of time, was the baby. How many of you are the baby of your family? You're the last born. Did you work that for all it was worth, you know, as the baby? Absolutely. Well, Joseph was the baby of his family and daddy's pet favorite kid because he was born of the woman that he loved the most. All right, now look, this was a troubled, messed up home. It really was. The boys, the brothers that were growing up, could not stand Joseph. They hated him. They wanted to kill him because daddy just gave him favoritism all the time. Moms and dads, it is not right to show favoritism to a child. You treat them all the same. Every child's different, but you treat them, you, you, you raise them the same. Here's the point. Joseph was raised with all this specialty treatment, you can you can almost see him stepping outside one day. You know, it's uh, you know the brothers are out there working in the farm on the ranch or whatever. They're baling hay, they're feeding the animals and so forth. And Joseph comes out. You know, it's like close to noon. He just got up out of bed, and there's some teenagers who know what I'm talking about on Saturday. And uh, he comes out, and he's got a little Captain Crunch hanging out of his mouth, and he said, "Oh, he says, uh, what you guys doing out here?" And they're thinking, working. You don't have to work like we do. And they, they, they despise him. And then Joseph has a dream. He, in fact, he had it twice. He had two dreams. And these dreams were messages from God that God was going to raise Joseph up and they were going to bow down to him. I don't have time to go through the dreams. But I mean, and he, and he tells his brothers about these dreams. Hey, let me tell you about this dream I had. You want to say, Joseph, keep the dream to yourself. You're not going to help yourself with your brothers at all. And he tells them the dream, and they, they say, we're going to kill him. 
And one day, the brothers are 50 to 60 miles away from home taking care of cattle. And here comes Joseph, sent by his daddy to keep an eye on them, to watch out what, he, what, what they were doing. Joseph shows up, and they take him, and they throw him down into, the, into a pit of the desert. And they say, we're going to kill him. We'll let him die down there and, and starve to death or whatever. When all of a sudden, they saw some gypsies, some Ishmaelites, who went around selling uh, people and selling their wares like gypsies like people would be. And, and they were headed on the south trail down toward Egypt. And somebody, one of the brothers said, hey, we can make some cash off the deal. We can sell Joseph off. And I'm telling you, we can. he'll never make the journey. He was 17, teenagers. He was 17. They said, they'll treat him like an animal. He'll die before he gets to Egypt. So they yank him up out of the hole and they call the Ishmaelites or the Midianites, whichever name you want to give them. He calls them over. They call him over and they go, hey, 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 what do you give us for this slave boy? Now you got you to gotta use a little bit of an imagination here. You know that Joseph didn't just stand there and say, yeah, yes, I'm a slave. No, he, he probably said, wait a minute, I'm not. And they probably had to knock him out or gag him or something. And they settled on 20 pieces of silver. We don't know how he traveled, but many commentators believe that they probably put a leash of some sort around his neck and he was pulled behind a caravan for mile after mile after mile down to Egypt. And you would have thought he was going to die. You got Genesis 39 open? This is where we start. Verse 1. It says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar... An officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him off the hands of the Ishmaelites which had brought him down thither. In other words, he bought him to be his slave. Verse 2, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Years ago, Lynn and I used to live in the state of Florida. And one night we came home from a church event, pulled up in our driveway. It was a little past 11 o'clock. It was a late night. And I heard across the street a crunching, cracking sound. I turned around just in time to watch a giant oak tree that grew in, in, in an abundance down in Florida. I saw this giant oak tree in an empty lot across the street literally split in two and the half that split off fell over onto my neighbor, which lived right across the street from us, fell on top of his backyard fence and on the roof of his house. It was incredible. This was a major, massive, uh, awesome-looking oak tree that children in the neighborhood had been climbing up in. And some of the men were talking about putting a, uh, a treehouse up into that oak tree just to, to give them something to play in. And it just split in two. It didn't get hit by lightning. It just happened. My neighbor came running out of his house to see what just hit his house. And he's looking around. You know, it's after 11 o'clock, and he's looking around, and all of a sudden he sees me. He says, Morris, did you see what happened? And I said, yeah. The tree split and fell on your house. You know, I mean, I, what can I tell you? I, I didn't have a lot of information to give him. What you see is what happened. The next day I came home from work and he, the city had come out and cleaned it up and had removed the remains of that tree. And I asked my neighbor, Jerry, I said, what, what was the deal? What was about that tree? He said, Morris, you won't believe it. But he said, moisture had worked on the inside of that tree. And then disease and varmint and vermin, varmints and vermin of some sort had eaten away at the innards of that tree. He said it looked so great on the outside, but it was hollow on the inside. And I thought, I know some times when my own life and I know some other Christians who may look real good on the outside. But something's missing on the inside. Would you look at verse 2 in our text once again tonight? It says, And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. Notice the word with. It's a word that means intertwined. It's like, it's like fabric that has been manufactured, threads that have been intertwined. It's like a rope 
that has individual twine that has been mechanically brought together. There was a witness between Joseph and the Lord. But now don't miss verse 3. And I'm going to make sure I read it exactly right. It says in verse 3, And his master, time out, who was the master? Well, we find out who that was back in verse 1. Potiphar, an officer of, the, of Pharaoh. Captain of the guard. All right. He's an unbeliever. He's what we would call a heathen. And I mean that in the classic sense of the word. He knew nothing about Jehovah God. Are you with me? He knew nothing about Israel's God. So back to verse 3. And his master, notice this word, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. I got a couple of questions when I read that. How does a man who doesn't know Israel's God, who doesn't know anything about God, I mean, Egyptians worshipped sun and moon, uh, they, they worshipped uh, uh, crocodiles, they, they worshipped idols. How did he see in Joseph that the Lord was with him? What the Bible's telling us is, Joseph lived in such a distinctive manner and in such a way that it stood out, it stood above the rest of the world around him. And I can just, I'm just kind of again using my imagination. I think that somewhere along the way, Potiphar, an Egyptian, got to learn how to communicate with Joseph and they got to talking. And I think he probably said, Hey, Joe, what is it about you? What makes you tick? You're not like anybody else that I've got as a servant in my household. And Joseph would have had an open door to tell him, Well, what you're seeing is my Lord. My point to you tonight is simply this. Joseph didn't just look good on the outside. There was something going on. Are you with me? There was something between him and God on the inside, and it was visible. It was not invisible. It was visible. And it became verbal. It became something that was obvious to the world around him. Friends, could you, can you get hold of this tonight? You may be. You may be the only living expression of Jesus Christ some people will ever see. The fact of the matter is we are to be walking examples of Christ. And I fear, I fear two things tonight, in just a matter of introduction, that there would be anybody here tonight who's a real good citizen, who's a real good student, who's a real good grandparent, but you've never accepted Jesus Christ. You may be good, but you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. And there'll be good people who will go to hell someday, who thought that their goodness was going to get them to God, and it will not. Not on your life, pun intended. The truth is, the point I'm trying to say tonight is this, there is that fear of those who have, do not, have, not, have not accepted Christ. And then I fear for us as believers who have Christ, who have the absence of Christ-likeness. We look good. Come to church sing songs, go through the motions, and get up and walk out the same way we came in, and everybody thinks that we're really walking with God. And yet there's a hollowness in our spiritual life. I can't answer for you. I'm only going to answer to God for me. But here was Joseph living in a foreign country, making a vast difference. You know, we used to sing when I was with the little people, when I was a little kid. I used to, we used to sing, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask. To be like Him all through life's journey from earth to glory. All I ask is to be like Him. The fact is, God's people need to evaluate tonight. Does anybody ever see Jesus Christ in me? And I mean that in our homes. I mean in at work. I mean that at school. I mean that in the walk of, of, of day-to-day living. Does anybody ever recognize to where a conversation could take place between us and the Potiphar's of our world that says, what is it about you? That we'd have an opportunity to have an open door to express to them what Jesus Christ has done for us. We have, the, we have all the, the knowledge of scriptures. We have all of the instruction that we receive here at the house of God. And yet we have to choose to internalize what we hear on the external. You have to say, I want that. I want Christ to be seen in me. All right, Joseph, if we could interview him tonight. What was it 
that stood out so strongly in his life that portrayed that the Lord was with him. In fact, real quickly, just real quickly, look at verse 2 again. It says, and the Lord was with Joseph, now notice this, and he was a prosperous man. How much money did he have? Uh, Let me see here. Can you spell zero? He was a slave, man. You say, well, what kind of... uh, What kind of clothes did he wear? Slave clothes. He didn't have some fancy logo on his clothing. What kind of car did he drive? Chariot did he drive? Uh, His two feet, which were barefoot. Oh, he said, what kind of cologne did he wear, man? It's this great stuff. It's called sweat. That's all he had. I'm telling you, he was just living life like he did. And yet the Bible says he was a prosperous man. I got to ask you, what does it mean he was prosperous? It means that he had a blessing upon his life that God brought. You and I need to back up from what we determine to be. What the, we, we've got to stop letting the world determine what prosperity really is. It's not how much money we have. It's not the type of car you drive. And I'm not against any of these things. It's not the clothes you wear. It's not the cologne you have on a perfume or, or how, uh, how successful your business is. It doesn't mean any of that. Prosperity is simply saying, I want God's hand of blessing on my life. And it became visible in Joseph's life. All right, Joseph, what was it that brought such blessed uh, prosperity in your life? Well, the first thing I want us to see, and I really do mean this, I'm going to I'm trying to go through this first point as swiftly as I can, but we have both young people and we have married people in this building tonight. We need to hear what the Bible says here. Would you look please at verse 6? It says in verse 6, and he left all, that's, the, that's Potiphar, he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. Now here it is. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Now folks, that's old King James English. It means this. He was a good looking dude. That's exactly what it means. It means he was well favored. It means he's handsome. And it, and it says that he was a goodly person. He was good looking. You say, really? It means, that's what, it means he was well put together. You say, why would the Bible say that in verse 6? Because of what happens in verse 7. Follow it. It says in verse 7, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused. And he said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master knoweth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none, there is no one greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me, but, but you, but thee, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness? And sin against God. I have a book on my shelf back home where, exca- where I read where excavators have dug into the Egyptian sands of Ye- down into the depths of this, time, this culture. And they discovered through what they discovered in the, in, in the archaeology of the old Egypt, they discovered that there were several things that were going on in this day and age in which, in which Joseph found himself in Egypt. Number one, they found out that no couple, no married individual, none were faithful to their spouse. Both men and women were loose as could be and were constantly involved with other other people. Not only that, they discovered that uh, women in that culture were extremely aggressive going after men. You know what? I didn't even have to tell you that the archaeologists found that. You just read it right here with me where this woman was aggressively going after a fresh individual who was in her home, Joseph, who's 20-something. Young people, stay with me. The third thing they found out, now don't get mad at me on this, I'm just telling you what they found out. They found out that homosexuality was accepted and was warmly received. All right, help me out tonight. Does that sound familiar? Joseph found himself in an Egyptian culture, hear me, without dad and mom to watch over him, without any spiritual voice to warn him, without even even a godly friend to say, let's hang in here together, Joe. Let's fight for one another's purity and let's try to stay right with each other and I'll hold you accountable. You hold me accountable. What do you say? He had none of that. 
He could have said, my dad, my mom, my mom, his mom was already dead. His dad, he said, I'll never see him again, possibly. My brothers hated me. I've been mistreated. You know something? Where's God in all this? And everybody else is living loose as a goose. And why don't I? Why don't I just go ahead and enjoy the world that, that's involved with me? It's available. Let me tell you why Joseph had the blessing of God upon his life. And I don't want to park long, but i got to help all of us tonight. Number one, there was the presence of purity in his life. Joseph said, I will not involve myself with the impurities of the world around me that is so freely available. I'm not going there. It says there in verse 8, but he refused. Teenagers. Well, that day comes, young lady, when you walk down an aisle for your marriage. You want to walk down the aisle as a young lady who's pure who has kept herself pure for her husband-to-be, not been available for, for his hands, his eyes, and for any other activity. And young man, when you walk out to receive her at the top of the aisle, you ought to be just as pure at heart and pure in life as she is. And there's teenagers in this room who may be thinking, I won't be able to say that because I haven't been pure. That's why I'm bringing it up tonight. I'm saying that from this point on, there ought to be a commitment and a dedication and a devotion to live pure and to keep yourself pure till that day you get married. And then when you get married, married couples, purity is still a call and a command for us to obey. There is to be a devotion to your husband or to your wife that is as real as can be. Don't dabble in the world's entertainment and be involved with such entertainment of people who may have the look of angels, but they live like alley cats. Don't allow yourself to get so involved with watching things that are immoral and, and indecent, whether it be from music or any other realm of entertainment. The truth is, when you feed yourself on that stuff, you begin to allow yourself to start meditating and thinking on things that are not appropriate and right. And Joseph said, I'm not going there. I'm just not going there. I believe that he predetermined how he was going to respond because it was a constant bombardment. In fact, look at, look at our passage. Look at verse 10. It says, And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph, how often? Day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. It was relentless. She was relentless going after him. And he was relentless to say no. I'm not going there. Gentlemen, I don't have any idea what temptations may come across your pathway, whether it be from the, from the computer or things at work or just in your own mind. I don't know. But the devil has no new tricks. He has no new tricks. He'd love to destroy your marriage. He'd love to destroy your mind. He'd love to destroy your morals. Ladies, I have no idea what may be attacking in your thoughts, and I know that sometimes a husband may not show the love that he needs to. But it's never better somewhere else. You mark it down. God's Word is crystal clear. I'm just quoting scriptures. Whoremongers and adulterers. God will judge. Keep your home right. Stay in love with your partner. Stay in love with your spouse. And allow your heart to be filled with purity. His resistance was persistent. He said, I'll not go there. If, I, if a snake came in this room, well, where would you like a door? Because I'm getting out of here if a snake came in here all of a sudden. I wouldn't play with it. And hopefully you wouldn't either. I mean, I'm talking about a venomous, poisonous snake. You wouldn't flirt with it. You wouldn't play with it. You wouldn't, you wouldn't try to see you know, how, how close you could get to it. You'd run. And guess what Joseph did? He ran. He didn't say, I, you know what, I think I can handle this. No, he couldn't, and he knew he couldn't. You say, you say Morris, do you think Joseph was uh, normal? I mean, I mean, how could he say no and resist this that was so available? You think he was normal? Oh, yeah. Just turn, turn a couple of pages and you'll, come and you'll find out that he gets married and he has kids. Oh, yeah. He's as normal as any other human male. But he chose to be faithful to his God. In fact, the truth is that back in verse 9, he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? His relationship and his fellowship with God meant more to him 
than any few moment of pleasure that would be found in a world of impurity. Teenagers, I'll close with this and move on. Your mother possibly has some China dishware at home. Now, guys, you probably don't know what that is. China, you're thinking, isn't that a country far away? Yeah, okay. Uh, China dishware is, is very, very precious. My wife has instructed me that we take care of this China very, very carefully. We don't put it, when we, we don't use it that often. We use it for special occasions like Christmas or, um, you know, or um, uh, you know, Thanksgiving or some kind of special occasion. And then we wash it with hot soapy water by hand, okay? We don't put it in the dishwasher because it's so delicate. It could break. It could crack in that dishwasher, you know, bouncing around. And so, we, you know, it's very delicate. It's very, here's the word, it's precious. And we take it over and we, we put it where it needs to be. She's got a, um, do we still have that? We don't still have that little china. We used to have a china cabinet and, I, and you know, Mr. Observant here, we don't have any more, but uh, uh, you know, we, we keep it stored away. We used to put it up on display and, and to where it could be seen. You know, it was nice. Why? It's precious. It's valuable. But a while ago, the teenagers were eating pizza down here on paper plates. When they got through, they didn't go, oh, be careful with this paper plate. You know, I mean, you know, there were a couple of boys were, you know, you know <laughs> eating the paper plate just in case they missed something. But the tr- well, when you're through with that trash, what do you do? You throw it away. And when a person, when a person keeps himself pure, when she keeps herself pure, she's like that piece of china that is precious and valuable. But when you enter into the realm of that which is inappropriate and immoral and, and, and you live loose and impure, you become a, a person that's like a paper plate. And I've talked to too, too many teenage Christ, too many teenagers, Christian and otherwise, who have said after they've committed the, some, some sin of immorality, they've taken a blade and started trying to cut themselves because they feel like saying, I don't even deserve to live. They consider themselves to be a piece of trash and they want to throw themselves away. Satan has no new tricks. Save yourself for the one that God has in store for you. Joseph had the blessing of God because he had the presence of purity. Now, I told you his story goes all the way to chapter 50. So would you go to chapter 50 with me? I want us to close, and uh, those are the famous words, down in chapter 50, all right? Very last chapter of the book of Genesis. I want you to see, now Joseph is in Egypt. He's with his brothers. His dad have moved down to Egypt Joseph has been made the prime minister. He's second in command of the most powerful nation on the planet. Notice, please, beginning in verse 15. It says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly require or repay us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, "Um, Thy father... Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, (coughs) Forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went, and they fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be your slaves, your servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Can I just cut to the chase and here's where we'll We'll finish up tonight. Not only was Joseph's life a blessing and blessed of God because of the presence of purity, but secondly, because of the absence of anger. Now don't get mad at me while I'm dealing with the subject about us getting angry. Joseph's brothers had mistreated him and had hated him, had tried to kill him, and here he is, here he is some 25 to 27 years later, And their dad has died, and they're all thinking, oh, 
Joseph's probably going to kill us off now. He has the authority. He's going to chop off our heads. You know, daddy's, the only reason he allowed us to live is because daddy, because daddy was alive. Now daddy's dead. Oh, he's going to kill us. And so they send in a messenger and they say, uh, it's possibly Benjamin, which is David's, uh, excuse me, uh, Joseph's blood brother. Maybe send in Benjamin to say, uh, your brothers have asked uh, that your father said, please forgive them for what they did to you many years ago. And Joseph said, what? And next thing you know, the brothers come in, they fall down, they go, oh, Joseph, we can't get any lower. We'll just be your slaves. Please, please don't kill us. I mean, these guys are scared out of their mind. I think it's because they knew if we were sitting in your chair, we probably would kill. So you're going to kill us, I know. And Joseph says, come, come here. Judah, come here. Reuben, come here. Come here. Simeon, come here. Come here. I love you guys. Asher, come here. Dan, Naphtali, come, come here. I'm here to take care of you. I forgave you a long time ago. How come the Lord was so visible in Joseph's life? Because he was a forgiving individual who didn't live with anger. Now, for sake of time, let me just ask you from this example, this guy's life here, this guy who's an example of Christ, an Old Testament portrait, a snapshot of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something, and I'm starting with me. How often do you get angry? Once a day? A couple of times a day? Once an hour? Once a week? Once a month? You say, well, Morris, it's a part of our emotions. I know there's a tendency to do it. I'm talking about, I'm talking about sinful anger. There may be somebody right now wrestling with me uh, in their mind. Uh, be angry and sin not. Okay, I'm talking about sinful anger. You know what I'm talking about. As the example of Joseph here. I'm talking about sudden anger. Where all of a sudden, you're kind of an unapproachable individual. Your husband can't talk to you because <laughs> blow up. Your wife can't talk to you because kaboom, the bomb drops. It's a sudden temper. Maybe some of you grew up in that kind of a home. Some of you may be growing up in that kind of a home. Maybe, maybe it's not sudden anger. Maybe it's stubborn anger. Just dig your heels in. I'm not budging. I may, I may not even be right, but I'm not going to admit it. I'm going to just, you know, boy, I just, you know, I'm more, I'm more right than you are. I'm going to prove my point. We get angry with traffic. We get angry with red lights that won't turn green. We get angry that when the light does turn green, the guy in front of you won't go because <laughs> he's on his phone. We get angry with uh, trains that stop you. We get angry with people at work that tell us we got to stay late. It's really something that becomes almost, well, it does, it becomes addictive. It becomes something that becomes such a part of you that, that everybody knows that you don't, don't, don't enter that subject with that guy. He, he blows up. And anger is something that shows itself in so many different ways. Listen to the Bible. Proverbs 22, Chris. In verse 24, it tells us that anger is something that is contagious. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest you learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. In other words, it's contagious. Hang around angry people, you begin to pick it up yourself. Maybe that's where it came from for you. But you know something, not only is it contagious, anger is also something that when you're slow to wrath, you, you can help others to be calm. In Proverbs 15 and verse 18, the Bible says this, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. What does it mean? He, he, he helps things stay calm when he's not quick on the draw. And when you're a person who is not going to lose your temper. You're someone that is greater than a warrior and a soldier. Proverbs 16 and verse 32 simply says, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that takes a city. In other words, you're, you're more powerful than a muscle-bound soldier. 
Sometimes we blow up just to get people off our back, to get control of a situation, to control people at work. You've been around somebody that the, when they walk in the office door, you, you start trembling because they're, they, they control by intimidation. Or maybe, maybe that's what happens in your home. May I simply say to every mom and dad, this is not the way to raise your kids. You don't raise them by intimidation. You say, well, boy, you don't know my kids. No, I, uh, there's not a kid that's, that's different. My point is we don't, we don't lose our temper because I got news for you. One of these days that little kid's going to grow up and going to be bigger than you. And what are you going to do then if you've raised them by being a bully? And that's another sermon for another time. My point to us tonight is to understand that to blow up is not the way to run a business. It's not the way to be happily married. It's not the way to raise your kids. It's not the way to live your life. Sometimes we don't just blow up. Sometimes we clam up. We just won't talk. We won't say anything anymore. You just go into the kitchen and boom, boom, slamming drawers. Boom, boom. Children walk in the kitchen. They're watching mom go. Okay, I think, think we'll give her, I don't know, two or three days. You know, I'll come back into the kitchen. Is something wrong with you? Nothing. Okay. You act like you're mad. I'm not mad. Okay. Just don't want to talk about it. You know, whether we blow up or clam up, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 5. Let me just tell you what he said. He said, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Wrath and anger are two words that sound similar. Wrath and anger. One of those words means a brooding and a brewing and a steaming and a stewing on the inside. The other word means the outward blowing up. So you got both characters there. He says, let it all be put aside from you and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here we go. Even as Christ. Hey, Joseph, what is it about you? You're not like anybody else here in Egypt. You don't get angry like the rest of us. And Joseph was certainly not a perfect man, but the Bible indicates to us here that he was not someone who, who blew up and got angry. He, some people blow up. Some people clam up. Of course, in some cases, it turns into beating up where somebody gets hurt. We pound the wall or we pound our fist into something else. But finally, and here's one that's very, very deadly, we don't blow up and clam up and beat up we store up. And we refuse, now hang on, to forgive. Joseph, please forgive us. We're so sorry what we did to you. Fellas, I forgave you a long time ago. <laughs> I'm here to take care of you. What you meant for evil, God meant it for good. You couldn't see it. I couldn't see it, but I got news for you. There's been something good here. That God's brought about. I forgave you a long time ago. In fact, Joseph could prove it by pulling out his two boys. He had two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. You know, they named children for a reason. And names meant something. And uh, he brought out Manasseh. And he says, this is my firstborn son. His name is Manasseh, which means forgetting. He says, I forgot all that mistreatment years ago. And so I named my firstborn son forgetting. I, I just forgave and forgot everything. Oh, here's my second son. His name's Ephraim. His name means fruitful. My life is blessed. My life is so fruitful because I forgave. Did you know, listen, did you know that when you and I forgive somebody, you free two people, the person you forgave and yourself? Because you live within a prison of <laughs> the very mention of somebody's name. It all, it's right there on the surface. You don't know what they did to me. No, I probably don't. And let me tell you something. Hear me. Hear me with both ears wide open. To forgive somebody does not mean to trivialize or to minimize the wrongdoing or the mistreatment that somebody did to you. It is not to forgive somebody does not mean, oh well, it's okay that they 
they abused me. It's okay. No, 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 no. It's not to minimize that at all. What you're doing is you're giving God time to work. You're backing off and saying, God, I leave them with you, but I'm not going to walk around with this baggage of anger and bitterness and drag it around with me everywhere I go. Joseph could have been one hot individual down there in Egypt. He could have been one angry guy. But you know what he had to do? He had to say, okay, I'm down here in Egypt. There's a reason for it. And I don't see it right now. God gave me some dreams long ago that I was going to have a better life and I'm just going to trust God for it. And I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't see how it's all going to come together. But I'm going to let the past go. When we forgive, we are refusing to make somebody else pay. We are removing the debt that they owe. You say, but they need to pay back what they did. Maybe so. Let God call out the debt. You're not the one to go make them be repaid. And I, and I mean this, uh, where some husband has to say to his wife, sweetheart, I really am sorry. I, I'm sorry I, I, I disappointed you. She says, okay. Okay. No, I'm, I'm serious. I really, I, I need you to forgive me. Okay, okay. I forgive you. But I'll tell you one thing. If you ever do that again, I'm on, I'm, you haven't forgiven. You're making him pay. Now, I just chose that. You could change it around the other way. You're making the person pay. When you forgive, you're releasing them of the debt. And may I say to you, forgiveness is a process. It's not a one-time event. You're probably going to have to tell yourself again and again and again, you know something, I have forgiven that person. Because it wants the, the devil brings it back up again. Wait, wait, wait a minute. It's not a one-time event. You're going to have to, it's a process of time. And when you forgive, you know what? It's a picture of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of His grace. And Joseph was a walking, living example of forgiveness. Is there somebody tonight that if their name came up in conversation, you would just start steaming? And you've never, you've never said, you know something, I'm going to release that person to the Lord. Maybe tonight, some of the fruitfulness that Joseph was experiencing is not yours because there's still some anger, some bitterness there. I was preaching at a teen camp, youth camp. We've heard about camp here tonight. I was preaching several years ago at a teen camp. The very first night of the of the week of camp was on Monday night. I had preached, and after the Monday night service, I was walking back to my truck to <coughs> go back to my room. And a girl who was a counselor at the camp, that means she was a college girl, uh, she came walking up to me on the parking lot, and she had a group of her teenage girls with her that were in her cabin. And she stopped me, and she said, Brother Morris, and I said, yes. And it was, you know, it was, it was kind of shady. There were some lights out there. She said, do you remember me? And, I, and I'm going to tell you, I just, I, I hate when I can't remember somebody's name. But I mean, you know, I'm going somewhere different every week. And I, you know, and I hate to say, you know, I, I won't tell the truth. So I just said, well, you know, you, you look familiar, you know. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden I took another look at her and I said, yeah, I, I, I remember you. And on the inside I was thinking, and really, I thought, You? Or a counselor? You say, why? Because I knew her when she was a teenager. Three years earlier, she had been a camper at that same camp as a teenager. And I talked to her one day. And she was one angry, bitter girl. Not at her parents, but at some other people. She was furious. I'll never forget she was so angry while she was talking to me. She pounded the table. And she said, I will never forgive those people. She trembled when she talked. Tears out of her face. Tears of rage. When she finally stopped, I took her to two places. I took her to the cross of Calvary in the Scriptures and showed her how Jesus forgave us at the cross. Undeserved. And then I took her to the story of Joseph and I showed her how that here was a man who forgave people who mistreated him. She sat there and trembled. 
I had prayer and walked away. And three years later, she says, you remember me? And I'm thinking, they must have been short on counselors. They they ask you to be one. And then she said, I bet you you didn't think I'd ever be a counselor, did you? Well, I didn't want to say, boy, man alive, that's for sure. So I just said, well, how's it going? She said, do you remember the last time we talked? I said, yeah. She said, it was three years, three summers ago. I said, has it been three summers? She goes, yeah. I said, I remember. She goes, do you remember what we talked about? I said, I do. I said, is that all settled now? She said, it got settled soon after our talk. I said, really? She goes, I couldn't wait to get to see you again to tell you. She said, I couldn't get over Joseph. If he could forgive then I needed to do the same thing. You'll take my word on this. That entire week of camp, seriously, I never saw her without a giant smile on her face. She'd be playing games, big old smile. Playing an instrument, big smile. Singing in the counselor choir, big smile. Talking to somebody about the Lord, smile. Why? Because she had been set free of that heavy cloud of anger and unforgiveness. You say, well, I don't have a problem with that. Well, just keep living life. (laughs) Somebody's going to do something to break your heart and disappoint you. It may be right underneath the roof that you live in. Or where you work. Or where you go to school. God's people who want to have the presence of the Lord. I don't mean like an oak tree that looks good on the outside and come to church and be hollow on the inside. I'm talking about someone who's the real deal inside out. Joseph had the presence of purity and he had the absence of anger. Father, would you please help us in the brief continuance of this service to take a look at our hearts and ask